Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Hey, Heidi, would you like to introduce our guest today? Sure, I'd be honored to. Dr. John K. Reed, and our topic is Finding Hope and Healing After Loss. John Reed is a professor of psychology and counseling at Southeastern Oklahoma State University and fellow in thanatology with the Associate with the Association for Deaf Education and Counseling. His interest in death and dying was inspired by the awareness of how ill-prepared he was after the sudden death of his father. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Really glad to be on the show. It's great to have you on, John. Now, how long have you been involved with uh, the the death and dying field? Um, It's uh, getting close to 20 years. And, And what was going on 20 years ago when your dad died? Was there, have you seen changes in the whole field? Um, well, a lot more uh, research on um, on grief and um, a softening of some of the earlier positions that were pretty harsh uh, about you know forty or fifty years ago uh, of just you know just letting go and cutting loose and uh, moving on kind of phrases and and the field has embraced the. Um, uh, uh, retaining an attachment to the deceased, but just in a different way. The continuing bond. Actually, Heidi and I wrote an article on that. The oh, really? Continuing bonds, yeah. Um, one of the things, we were looking over uh, the wonderful research that you've done, and one of the things that we were really interested in and we thought would help our listeners a lot today is your work that you've done uh, on attitudes of uh, teachers in the schools. Is that it? Could you talk about that work a little bit? Um, yes, I... Part of my teaching responsibilities include uh, people, uh, prospective teachers and prospective school counselors. And so I was interested in uh, generally what their attitudes were about death and also if they felt prepared to deal with grief in, in, the, in the school, in the classroom. And what I found is that for the most part, the teachers did not feel prepared uh, to deal with it when one of their either one of their students had died um, uh, or when a student had a, a immediate family member who had died, uh, they just generally didn't know quite what to do and how to handle it. Um, and most school teachers, they go into teaching. Um, there's a, a perspective of growth and development and opportunity uh, as they work with children. So they're, they're generally not oriented to deal with the end of that uh, uh, of death and, and uh, grief. Mm-hmm. I know when uh, my son was killed, um, uh, my daughter Heather was 14, and um, she, the math teacher, got in touch with me and said, "You know, this kid's, you know, talking in class." And so I went in to see him, and I said, uh, "You know, her brother was killed in an accident uh, about a month ago." And he said, "Well, we've all had uh, family members die." <laughs> I'm like, "Whoa." You know, um, so I uh, was in the field. Of, I actually was a nurse and worked at the University of Rochester. So I went in and did a seminar for the school. Um, I can't even believe I did it now. Uh, like a couple of times a year for all the teachers. And it was great that the school allowed me to do it. But I had the skills to do that. Now, 
I know parents say, how do I, we've got parents out there who've had kids die recently, and they've got other kids in the school district, or have had parents die, you know, had a, a parent die or whatever. What would you suggest to people that, how can they soften the way in school? Do you have suggestions? Well, uh, first is to inform the teacher as soon as possible. Um, that, that may seem like a logical thing, but it, it doesn't always happen that way. Um, and um, uh, encourage that if the teacher doesn't know, I mean, the, the family can tell the teacher we would like for you to uh, tell the class about this before our uh, child comes back to the comes back to the classroom, or they may say we don't want you to tell the students. I mean, the, the family can tell the teacher their preferences about it, and um, most schools have a school counselor who uh, can come in and help with that if the teacher isn't comfortable with it. Um, I have a feeling our school counselor, the uh, school Heather was in, I think she softened away with me, you know, with probably having me come in too. That could make people a little bit nervous having a parent around also. You know, uh, one of the binds that we get in with teens that we've heard about um, is that they want people to know and yet they don't. Isn't that right, Heidi? Yeah, it's it's very true. And I mean, I've even heard kids and teens say that they didn't like it when the teacher said something out loud in front of the whole class. Mm -hmm. um, it was embarrassing, and they didn't want that. They wanted people to be empathic, but they didn't want to be seen as different. Right, right. Yes, they have such a strong need to uh, um, kind of fit in with everybody else. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, I remember working with a kid um, that lost his father in 9-11, and he was a firefighter, and he had a really hard time concentrating and was having a lot of difficulty in school. And I went into the school and observed, and I noticed that right where the teacher was standing at the chalkboard above her, it said, never forget 9-11, and had a photo of firefighters, oh, wow. a big poster. Sure. And I had to talk, you know, I talked to her, I talked to the child about it, and he said it was very distracting. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. And then I talked to the teacher about removing it. And then I, we also kept the teachers abreast of uh, anniversary dates, Right. Things like Father's Day that would be very hard for kids oh, that had right, lost fathers, right. um, those kind of things, so that they were more aware of it. And also aware that sometimes kids acting out and not concentrating is part of grief. Yeah. That's the way it manifests itself. Yeah, they, they can be encouraged to uh, kind of uh, cut, cut the kids some slack, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. within reason. Yeah. Right, and, and realize that as parents out there that your kids are going to, you're not they're not going to be happy with everything you do. I mean, if you decide that you're going to go in and, and smooth away at school and tell them about this and they don't like it, you know, sometimes you just have to say, look, this is, this is you know, what's going to happen. And, right. You know, you need to have that. One last thing I wanted to say before we moved on to cultural things and uh, roadside memorials is that um, I am very surprised that there's no education at all in the schools, no mand mandated education on grief and loss. Isn't that true across the board? Except for a few private schools, that's, that is, you're right. Yeah. Has anybody tried to advocate for that? Yes, but there's so much pressure for standardized test result scores that uh, this you know, deaf education is just seen as a peripheral, unfortunately. But it's, it's, obviously, it's a universal experience, uh, so it's really not peripheral, but it's Educationally speaking, that's all how it, that is often how it is perceived. Yeah, and and one of the things that our families know out there, and people have been in for a while, is that you do have to be proactive and teach mm -hmm. people how to te treat you 
and right. even lost because they haven't been trained in the schools to do it. So do, don't be afraid to be proactive. And, and also, I think, have family members or friends or um, uh, your minister or whatever go to the school if you don't feel like you can and you feel like there's something that needs to be done there. So I think you do need to be pretty active about things if you feel like your kids are having problems. So, uh, John, I want to talk about a little bit about what you did in uh, East Asia and looking at other cultures. Mm-hmm. You did a study there? Well, I've uh, had the opportunity to visit in Taiwan and uh, Singapore and China, visit cemeteries, um, in some cases observe uh, funeral services and uh, interview people. Um, and, it's, of course, it's very different from what is standard in the U.S. Um, How so? Well, um, of course, the, the religious base for uh, Southeast Asian funerals is uh, different from uh, the, the general westernized view we have here um, as far as the belief in reincarnation. Um, do you think that, does that ease the way, do you think, or do you, don't you see any, is it just a difference in belief? Um, I, I think that there's some... Some of the aspects of uh, grief, uh, of mourning tradition there are more advantageous than what we do, but then I think there's some offsets, things that we do here uh, help in other ways for us. So generally, I'm not sure I can say it uh, allows them to grieve um, better or quicker or anything. Um, But one difference is they have uh, prescribed rituals that traditionally were done every seven days for 49 days. Mm. And so it really gives the bereaved something to do. And, you know, we often feel so helpless. We want to do something, and there's uh, we don't have many longer-term rituals here in the, in the U.S. I mean, we almost just have funeral leave, right? Yeah, it's very brief, and uh, you know, we're supposed to get back to uh, normal, so to speak. And uh, so I think one thing I like that they do there is that there are these uh, prayers and incense that are offered. Uh, it, it has, and in some cases, it's been uh, condensed because of people living uh, overseas and having to come back for a short visit uh, for the funeral. But nonetheless, it does give the mourners something that they can do that is aimed at helping the uh, deceased in their next life. Hmm. And uh, tell me about your work with roadside memorials. Well, um, several years ago, I just began to notice them and wondered. I mean, I, I could speculate why people put there, but, you know, it was only speculation. So for a year and a half, I, every time I saw one, I stopped and took pictures and notes. And I found out that often they go up before the funeral, uh, often within 24 hours of the fatality. And I uh, just sat at a distance and observed some of them and and it, it's a place for people to mourn, I mean, mm-hmm. it's an immediate place for them to mourn and and to, to share stories and to cry together. And, um, uh, and and many of those people won't be included in uh, uh, the funeral arrangements. You know, uh, yeah, right, be, especially with kids when their yeah. friends get killed in accidents. You see a lot of those uh, automobiles. Oh, that's the number one group, unfortunately, mm-hmm. yeah. So it brings them all together. Um I have a place down in Carmel, California, and, and some kids went off a cliff and died. And I know they have flowers down there and, you know, uh, around the area in Carmel. It's been, gosh, a couple of years, and people are still putting things up there, and it's quite interesting. How long do you see memorial? Have you followed how long they've lasted? Or 
Some uh, I've seen um, evidence that they've been there for for decades, mm-hmm. and just a long time, and people visit them on special holidays and decorate them for Christmas and Easter, uh, and then on the anniversary date of the death. There's almost always some new activity. Uh, one of the things that concerns me is that they they tend to fall into disrepair, though. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because there's really no one responsible to, to remove it or to refresh it. Um, they often fall into disrepair, and that is, to me, the opposite of the original intent. And, right. Yeah. Well, well, and sometimes that can be disturbing to family members because they feel like people have forgotten and moved on. Yeah, it it, uh, it, it can have uh, that, that impact as well. You're right. I was thinking of it being uh, maybe uh, like having your own, I don't know, what do we want to call it, shrine at home or something. I know a lot of our families have a little a little space yeah. there mm-hmm. in their home where they have something uh, to remind them. I'm, I'm thinking that uh, also with, um, um, you know, where people have their ashes spread, sometimes there's no place to go now. Right where cremation becomes popular and people seem to, you know, want to go to the ocean or throw them off a cliff or, you know, whatever, you can end up not having a place to go. So, yeah, I, I, My sense is that that would then interfere with uh, places to mourn. I haven't really studied it, but that's, that's kind of my, my suspicion. You know, with the, with the 9-11 families, um, since a lot of them didn't have bodies, a lot of the people I've worked with, they set up, they would erect, like, benches or memorials or those kind of things, so they had a place to go mm. since they That's didn't great. have a body and sometimes they didn't have a burial. Now, when Scott died, we were originally from Utah, so we took his body all the way to Utah, even though we were in Rochester, New York, and his friends planted a tree. Oh, that's nice. Which has gotten very big now. In fact, they wanted to uh, dig it up and move it uh, so they could put a new driveway in at the school, and his friends and uh, one of his teachers from way back, it's been 25 years, rallied around and made sure they kept the tree. So. Wow, how about that? One nice thing about growing things is they don't fall in disrepair. That's true. <laughs> so if you had uh, some advice and thoughts from your experience with people in grief and loss, what kind of advice would you have for people, say, uh, there, uh, many of our audience is newly bereaved? Well, um, that they need to find some avenue for expressing what's inside of them. It may be talking. It may be, as you mentioned, poetry on your website. It may be writing. It may be building a memorial. Um, whatever it's inside, it's you know probably includes sadness and maybe anger and a lot of other feelings. We we just we need some mechanism for expressing it, and you know, we shouldn't limit ourselves to to just the talking cure, so to speak. That works wonderfully for for many many people, but uh, not for everybody. And they and that's one of the benefits of memorializing. Uh, is that it? It is an expression. It is some, uh, expressing what's inside of us. Mm-hmm. And what, do you see any difference between male and uh, female grief? Have you noted any of that? Well, men are much less likely to seek out someone to talk to. Um, uh, uh, I, I had worked with one father once, and on the anniversary, and now he and his spouse did come for counseling, which was very commendable and counseling was very effective with them and as the anniversary date of the death came up I um, asked uh, um, do you want some of your co-workers to mention it because I know that's the struggle that many people especially other men uh, 
feel is they don't know whether or not they should bring it up. And he said, oh, absolutely, I want them to bring it up. And I said, well, do you, what do you think would be your reaction? He said, well, I think I would probably cry. And I said, is that okay? And then, of course, he again said, absolutely, that's okay. You know, and, and so we may be hesitant to mention it, and I, we should err on the, on the side of mentioning it uh, rather than not saying anything out of fear of bringing up the memories because they already have the memories, you know. And, right, yeah. right, and let people know that we do want to talk about it. Well, John, before we end the show, I wanted to uh, just tell our audience a little bit about um, your organization, ADAC, yes, uh, because right. they can go online and the ADAC, can you tell us what ADAC means, yeah. ADAC, the initials, and then tell them how to go online to find a therapist? Okay, Association for Death, Education, and Counseling. And uh, quite often people hear the word DEAF, D-E-A-F, uh, when I say the name of the organization, but it's, of course, D-E-A-T-H. Um, and it's um, a multidisciplinary group of counselors and clergy and social workers and nurses. And, and our website is real easy to find. It's adec.org, adec.org. And you have a list of counselors that they can find out in their area who are actually trained in dealing with people who've suffered grief and loss, which, which I think is wonderful because yeah. uh, some of our wonderful counselors out there who are great for other things are not great for dealing with grief and loss. Right. But, so it's wonderful. It's a wonderful place to go. Well, John Reed, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate it. Uh, Thanks, I've enjoyed John. it and I appreciate it being asked. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.